Welcome to the St George's Leeds Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the talk. Good morning, church. Hope you've had a very great week and even greater weekend. Um, I wonder how many of you have been on holiday. If you show of hands, how many of you? All right. Well, quite a number of people. How many are yet to go but are planning to? Okay. Um, before we start, I thought the best, the best thing we should do is, um, one of the best ways to start is, is, is to have a quiz. And so, <clears throat> I'm going to test your geography, and whoever fails is going to be asked to move out. Um, <laughs> so, here's what I'd like to ask. Which do you think is bigger, Europe or Africa? Two continents. How many feel Europe might be a bit bigger than Africa? No? No one? All right, quite a few. Well, one or two hands. How many think it's Africa that's a bit bigger? Oh, well, basically everyone. By about how much do you think it is bigger? 20%? Three times, perhaps? Well, I'll tell you how big. Africa is about 14 times bigger than Europe. Um, And how many uh, countries do you think are in Africa? Could round off, could shout out what you think. 60? 16 or 60? 60. I tell you what, you're very close. A little lower than that? Yeah? Go on. Yeah. 55. Well, yeah, it's almost, it's almost there. Did you have your hand up? Do you want to say Sorry? 58. Well, almost there. There are 54 countries. Um, But that's now. Back in the day, a very long time ago, um, Africa wasn't quite 54 countries. Um, It was a little smaller than that. And uh, the slide might show you what it was. There are a couple of fewer, a couple of countries, certainly not 54, but the largest country or the largest kingdom, the largest empire by then was Kush. And the, the, the New Testament sort of doesn't distinguish between Kush and um, Abyssinia, which was later on Ethiopia. It just m- mentions it as Ethiopia. But actually, the, the country that uh, we're talking about is Ethiopia, or rather, is Kush. And Kush covered several of the, um, about 10 countries, including present-day Sudan and present-day South Sudan. 
And so when we're talking about today as, uh, today's uh, country as being um, South Sudan, back in the day, it was a huge empire called Kush. Now, a little bit of context to the passage we just read. We need to, Philip was being called into the desert by God. But when you read um, Acts chapter, five, chapter 8 from verse 5 to 8, you find that actually he was quite busy before he was told to go to the desert. There was a, a revival that was happening somewhere in a city called Samaria. And there were multitudes. The Bible says that um, then Philip went to the, to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded to the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did, and there was great joy in that city. So if you can imagine with me a city where, you know, it's bubbling. Everyone is joyful. Everyone is, there are lots, there are lots of people coming to, to, to the faith and coming to believe in Christ. And Philip is at, right in the center of it. And then he's told by God, you know what? Go into the desert. Who does that? I mean, that, leaving all the fun, leaving all the joy, and in some ways, leaving all the work, hard work that he had done, and is being told to go to the desert where literally nobody lives. What am I going to do there? There are people coming to, to you now, Jesus. There are people coming to you. Why should I be going to the desert looking for what? Nothing. Now, the Ethiopian eunuch was also having a great time in his chariot. He was also busy. He was a big man. He came from Kush, and he was a treasurer there. Now, one of the things that you might be interested in knowing about Kush uh, is that the kingdom had um, a matrilineal um, lineage of, of kings, which meant that it was the, it, whereas there was a king, his successor or the person who came after him was not his son, but it was his sister's son. So his sister was the queen mother. And it was believed in that time that you know, the king was, was, the, was, the, was, was the son of was the son of the, of the son. And because he was such a, basically a god, he didn't have time to deal with petty things like running a country. And so the, the person who was in charge of running the country was actually the queen mother, the Candace. And so she was a powerful person and it would follow that the treasurer of the kingdom was as well a very powerful person. So the Ethiopian eunuch was reading um, and he was in this chariot, supposedly a very expensive one. And then a commoner walks up to him, someone who's not riding a chariot like he is, someone who's walking. 
and must have been a bizarre sight because he was walking, but for some reason, somehow, he caught up with him who was on a chariot. And it's amazing that his reaction to, he, to, to Philip wasn't, what are you doing, you commoner? Or get away from me? Or are you a bandit? Because, you know, they're in the desert. He actually listened to Philip. Philip asks, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian eunuch says, well, actually, no. Hoping, tell me exactly what I'm reading. I have no idea what this, what's going on. Well, you know, sometimes the people that God sends our way come from the least expected places. Several months ago, I, I um, got a job offer that meant that I would need to either return to Uganda or Kenya or um, have to keep coming back and forth every now and then. And it was a great job. I loved the job. I, I, I loved the work that was being done. But I was also a bit anxious about what we were going to do as a family. And I kept sharing with people, you know, my dilemma. And at a certain point, I decided, well, you know what? I'm going to, to Uganda. I'm going to, to Kenya, wherever it will be. And uh, I'll just keep coming back and forth. And Diana and Netanya and the little one, Amaria, who wasn't born by, by then, will be, I'll just keep coming to see them and they'll keep coming to see me. And as I told that to friends, um, a lot of people were a bit anxious. And many of them didn't want me to go, didn't want the family to go. But in a very typically British way, they said it um, in a way that, that was understated, I guess. So. I had people come to me and say, oh, I'm not sure how I feel about that. Um, I had another come up to me and say, well, that's not particularly good news for, for some people, Ganzi. And by some people, of course, he meant one person, and by the, one person meant himself. Um, but, you know, I, I kind of got the message, and I appreciated that. But I have a friend called Mark, um, he wasn't very circumspect about it. Um, when I told him the news and um, told him I might need to go and, you know, I was still of two minds about it, he said, well, you know what, Gazi? Just make sure that whatever happens, you come back to us. You're one of us now. And for some reason, that spoke to me in ways no one else had. It made me feel part of the community in a way that no one else had made me feel. And I held on to that for a very long time. And, and Mark and I come from very different backgrounds. He's, he's served in the military. The best I've had in the military is where, you know, camouflage. Um, he's obviously British. I'm, I'm Ugandan. He's a lot older than me. And for the last nine years that I've known Mark, he's been um, homeless. 
But he spoke to me in ways that the people that I have been interacting with um, on a regular basis and perhaps thought, I thought, well, we, we, we are in. He spoke to me in a way that no, none of them did. What does that mean? Well, it means that sometimes what actually seems like a step down or a completely different path is actually what God is planning for you, is God's next plan for your life. I'm glad that I, I, I met Mark nine years ago, and I'm so glad that I didn't walk past him. I heeded God's voice telling me stop, and we had a chat, and we became friends. What is God telling you today that might be something out of your comfort zone? Perhaps to deal with someone that you really wouldn't want to deal with. Perhaps um, rethink a relationship that you sh probably should be rethinking. You're not too keen on it. Well, Philip was told to go to the desert, he went. The Ethiopian eunuch was told, I can explain this to you. And he said, well, hop in, regardless of our different social status. The second thing that um, I learned from the passage was this. Believing in God often makes, means surrendering our rights to his will. Believing God equals giving up your rights and doing his will. Philip, I'm sure if he was given the choice, would have stayed where the party was, where the action was. And he was quite effective there. It's not like he was, you know, just going along with the flow. In some ways, he had the right to be where he, he had earned the right to be the leader of the revival that was taking place. But God told him, you know what? Give that up and go to the desert. And he did. When I was a young man, I think, well, I'm not sure whether I'm still a young man, but when I was a little younger, when I was in my teenage years, um, I was quite involved in church, and, and uh, one of the things I, church in Uganda means come very early or you won't get a, a place to sit. And this is the church that I went to. So by five minutes to the service, if you weren't seated, if you weren't in, you wouldn't get a place to sit. And it was even worse when there was a bishop coming to town because the bishop was a very big deal. You know, the whole, everyone that never went to church went to church so that the bishop sees that they have gone to church. So, you know, it was a very big deal. And there's this one time I was, I was um, expecting the bishop to come. He was an amazing bishop. He, 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 his summons were a legendary, even to date. And I said, you know what, I'll need to go earlier. I went about an hour earlier than usual. And I sat 
in the middle. You know, there's, there's a sort of art to where you sit when you're a teenager. Not at the front, maybe not the second row. The third row, you have a chance of staying there. If you sit at the, uh, at the front, at least in Uganda, you'll be chucked off when the big people come. If you sit right at the, in the second row, there'll be some really, really uh, big people that will see you being naughty at some point during the service, so you don't want that. But you want to have a very good view of, the, of, of who's preaching, so you sit on the third, fourth, or fifth row. So I was sat there, and I felt like, you know what? I've done it. I got the seat. And in the middle of... <laughs> And in the middle of, 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 um, of the sermon, the bishop was preaching and everyone was fired up. An old lady walked in and she completely ignored the ushers that were telling her there's no place to sit and she kept walking to the front. And everyone kept turning to see what's going on and she just kept walking and walking and walking. And when she got to the fourth, fifth seat, she stopped and looked around, looking for someone to give up their seat. No one was giving up their seat because the bishop was preaching. Who gets up when the bishop, this particular bishop was preaching? It was called uh, Bishop Chamugambi. And so no one was giving up their seat. I had, it was my hard-earned seat. I didn't want to give it up. And the lady who, was, who had walked there, knew that she was let. Why was she coming in to sit? But within me, something told me to give. And I did. I surrendered my seat. Wasn't too happy about it. It didn't feel particularly glorious. But the old lady sat. And, you know, once she was sat, I, I walked out because there were no seats, of course. And I tried to listen from behind. There were lots of people outside. But after the someone, um, she looked for me. And she thanked me. And all oh, was I joy, very filled with joy. I wasn't so sure why she did it. I didn't ask her. But it felt good to have obeyed what God was telling me to do. And it felt very satisfying to hear her say that she appreciated it. What are the things that God is asking you to do? Um, that you might not want to talk about, that you might not, that might not feel comfortable doing. Um, maybe it's about hearing other people's stories, the homeless, the refugees from Ukraine, from Syria, from Sudan, from South Sudan. Is it a classmate of yours that you really should have fallen out with, but for some reason you're feeling God telling you to take that uncomfortable step. Again, seek wisdom. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 7 says, wisdom is the principal thing. 
There are four. Seek wisdom. And above it, seek understanding. Now, knowing and understanding are two different things. Very different things. The Ethiopian eunuch knew what he was reading, the portion of scripture he was reading from. He was reading um, Isaiah 53. He knew it. He could read. But he didn't understand it. He didn't quite know what it meant. Before we had kids, I was a great uncle. I took a lot of my, kid, oh, my nieces and nephews for the weekend and had fun with them. Bought them lots of chocolate, bought them everything that they asked for, and we slept very late at night. They loved me, I loved them back. And I felt, well, being a parent is great because you, you, know, you, you get to bring so much joy to people. And then we had our child. And then I was the bad guy saying, no, you can't eat that, you can't eat that. You have to sleep now. Can you please go to bed now? It didn't quite feel as great as being an uncle. <laughs> I had an idea of what it meant to be a parent. I saw my brothers and sisters be parents to their children. But I didn't quite understand it. The Ethiopian eunuch didn't understand it. And what did it take for him to understand the scripture? God explaining it to him through Philip. And what did it take for him to understand it when it was explained to him? He listened. He listened to what Philip was saying. What are the things that you are being prompted to listen to? Is it this nagging grandma of yours? This nagging grandchild of yours? Listen to their heart. Listen to what they're actually telling you so that you will understand where they're coming from. There's a song in Luganda that I uh, think is quite appropriate for, for this sermon. Um, the chorus goes something like this. Jagalan kumanye nkutegele kwemukama omutima gwange kunonya mukama njagalan kumanye Ngempe wa mudungu Wenonya mazago kunywa Umutima gwange gunonya Mukama njagala kumanye And it literally means I want to know you and understand you, O oh Lord. Not just know you, but understand you as well. My heart is searching. Lord, I want to know you. Like the wind in the wilderness that seeks out some water to drink. My heart is searching. Lord, I want to know you. The Ethiopian eunuch was searching to understand, not just to know, but understand God. 
How much are we yearning for understanding what God's plan for our lives is, what God's plan for our family is, what God's plan is for the different parts of our lives. And lastly, the thing that I think I learned from uh, the scripture was that God can use, can reach nations through one single act of faith. Now, Philip obeyed God's command and did exactly what he had been asked to do. And he left these thousands of people, literally thousands of people that were coming to Christ and went to the desert to deal with this single person, one human being, thousands of people. That's what God had told him to do. And unknown to him, that one person was going to be the missionary that brought faith to a whole nation, the nation of Kush, Ethiopia. As a kid in secondary school, I, had, I was in Scripture Union, and there was this, when I was, I was a bit older, when this kid, I noticed this kid who was uh, always by himself, very sad, and I found out later that he used to wet the bed. Um, now, I don't know if any of you has been in boarding school, but if you have, and you've been, you're wetting the bed every night, and you're being laughed at and made fun of, and you have three months to bear that, and you're just new to secondary school, and everyone else that is bigger that's supposed to be shielding you is actually mocking you and laughing at you, and your classmates who are supposed to be your equals are looking down at you and thinking, well, what's wrong with you? It's a very sad place to be in. And so I noticed that he was going through that. And God told me to speak to him. And I had a conversation with him. I didn't necessarily preach to him. But I told him my story, which was that I used to wet the bed when I was his age, i.e. about two years before. And every morning I'd wake up in a bed that's wet, and my classmates and everyone in the dormitory would be, well, they wouldn't necessarily laugh at me, but I'd be so embarrassed. And sometimes I'd wake up before anyone else at four o'clock because I knew I'd wet the bed and get the, uh, the bed and uh, the, the mattress and take it out so that it dries but then I have nowhere to sleep, so I go up to class and pretend to be reading. And I shared with him the story, and, and I didn't know what it meant to him. I just thought it was important to him. Years later, in 2007, I was at uni, um, and Facebook had just started. And I saw a friend request, and I accepted it from him. And he sent me a message and said, you know what, I've always wanted to tell you this. That day that you told me about your experience, I was actually contemplating committing suicide. I was almost doing it. And when you talked to me, I felt like finally someone understood. Someone was walking in my footsteps. I had absolutely no idea. 
he's a, he's, he's, he's a family man now with kids of his own and, and, and the family that really loves him. But I shudder to think what would have happened if I had ignored God's voice that day telling me, go speak to him and have a chat. Don't preach, just have a chat with him. You might think that what you're doing is very small, but it is in God's eyes and in a very big way consequential. That stranger that you stop to help cross the road, um, the person on the street that is asking for you know, a pound and you have a chat with them about their life and what's going on, it can change, literally change their lives. Now, my wife and I like puzzles. And one of the things that, one, about just before the lockdown, we bought this puzzle that had, um, that said, what next? And we thought, oh well, we've seen the photo, we understand what's going on, we'll put it together. And as we did, we realized that actually the photo that was on um, the board was not what the pieces were. The pieces were what happened next. And so you had to figure out what was happening. And it took us a, li- a lot longer than it usually does to put it together. The Bible doesn't tell us much of what happened to the eunuch, Ethiopian eunuch, once the encounter had. It only t- tells us that, you know, Philip went to Azotas and Caesarea to preach. But what happened to the Ethiopian eunuch? There, there might be a lot of guesses. You might think one or the other. But I personally think that he must have gone back to reading um, Isaiah with this newfound joy, with this newfound understanding of what, it, what Scripture meant, with this newfound faith in Christ, he must have gone back to reading Isaiah. And he was reading Isaiah 53 when they came. He must have kept reading. And I think he read up to Isaiah 56, from verse 1 to 5. And listen to what it says. Thus says the Lord, Keep justice and do righteousness, for my salvation is about to come, and my righteousness will be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, and the son of man who lays hold to it, who keeps from defiling the Sabbath, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Do not let... Do not let... um, one of a foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speaks, saying, the Lord has utterly separated me from my people. Nor let the eunuch say, here I am, a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me, and hold fast to my commands, even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name. Better than that of sons and daughters, I will give them an everlasting name 
that shall not be cut off. Imagine what blessed assurance the eunuch must have felt reading those words. That he who had no child, he who could not have a child, was going to have a name in the Lord's house. A name that would last longer than it would have if he had sons and daughters. An everlasting name that shall not be cut off. I think when we listen to God telling us this is the way, walk in it. When we listen to God telling us to do the things that he has told us to do, when we obey him and we seek to understand what he's telling us to do, we find ourselves continually being assured with that great blessed assurance that he is ours, that he's there with us, He'll walk through the fire with us. He'll walk to the mountaintop with us. But even in the valleys, he will be there. And there's something very assuring about knowing that regardless of what happens in this life or in the life to come, my life is in the hands of he who can do me no wrong. And so, what is God telling you to do? What happens next in your life after today? Thank you for listening to the St. George's Lead Sermon Podcast. For more talks or information, visit stgs.org.uk.